0: Pods tonight! <laughs> evil! Pods tonight! Who's with me, folks? Evil! evil pods, pods tonight! I, pods. I don't
1: join mobs. Really
0: <laughs> tough getting this, this evil-killing flash mob together. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest Empire Podcast Spoiler Special. This one is dedicated to the... Hang on, I'm running out. I've can't i can't, actually, I've lost count now. Uh, eight plus the two Rob Zombies. That's ten plus this too the 12th the 12th <laughs> halloween movie but also technically the third halloween movie depending on your point of view your certain point of view it is of course halloween kills and joining me to discuss this movie in all its gory detail are three of the finest victims i uh, sorry colleagues i could possibly what? find
2: ben travis hello i'm scared now probably more <laughs> scared than i was watching halloween kills but um i i am looking forward to this unless there's someone looming behind me with a knife or looming behind, behind me you. with hey. a oh, knife
1: michael
0: <gasps> hit the devil's eyes net blackest eyes Helen O'Hara is also here.
1: Yes, hello. Uh, just don't turn around, Ben. I'm sure everything will be fine.
2: Oh, okay,
0: that sounds yeah. scary. That's like the reverse Bonnie Tyler. Don't turn
1: around. Uh,
0: every, mm-hmm. every now, now and now then and again. I will be falling apart <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> we've, we've started badly. Um, every now and again I turn to my right and I see Empire's resident scaredy
3: cat, Mr. Frady. <laughs> I'm on Worman. how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I am the one cl- most closely positioned to the exit. It was very strategic. Um,
1: <laughs> so so when he comes through the door, you'll be the first one to get it in the neck. Yes,
3: you, like you, have the you have no, not I'm thought this through. You have not thought this through.
0: Do any of us have, do any of us stand a chance of surviving an encounter with with Michael Myers? If he were to walk into this room right now mm. in his boiler suit and his William Shatner mask yeah. with his big old 10-inch knife. Do you think, I oh know, <laughs> impressive oh, whoa. and the same size, doesn't matter. Uh do you think any of us would stand a chance? I think he would take pity on Ben because he would recognise in Ben uh, a kindred spirit, a, a serial killer
2: in waiting. Well, I mean, <laughs> I feel like he would slice off my face, turn it inside out and wear it as a new mask. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I feel like he starts this film, you know, killing a poor, innocent young man. So it's not a good o- omen, really, is it, for Ben?
3: I feel like I'd have a punch this chance because I would do something that the people in this film don't do and that's actually aim for the head. And take a shot at the head. I mean, somebody's so. learned from mean, <laughs>
0: jeepers. Anyway, we haven't got into the film yet because first we're going to hear from the film's director and co writer, David Gordon Green. I caught up with him on Zoom a couple of weeks ago and uh, we had a good old natter because there are some interesting things in this movie. Here we go. Me talking to David Gordon Green about Halloween kills. Oh, and I completely forgot to mention that uh, this is Gate Crashed at a certain point by Jamie Lee Curtis. Just briefly, just very, very briefly. But technically speaking, Jamie Lee Curtis does make a cameo in this spoiler special as well. Does that make it the 13th Halloween movie? I think it does. I think it does. Here we go. Halloween Talks. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined in this Halloween Kills spoiler special by the film's director, Mr. David Gordon Green. How the devil are you, sir?
4: Doing great. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Junket Blues, are you okay? Junket Blues. Um... (laughs) You know what? Sometimes you get into, uh, into autopilot a little bit, but it's a film I'm very passionate about. And so the fact that people are even interested in it makes me uh, excited because I feel like in- energy is contagious. And the more that, that, um, that, that you know, more, that, more, more of these kind of conversations that I have, the more I'm learning about my own movie and, and taking a lot from it. And, and I don't know, I'm excited about it.
0: What's, what's the most interesting theory that you've heard so far from a journalist? The most interesting
4: theory um or viewpoint viewpoint well I, I think one of the things i was nervous about is we take some we take some tangents and we it, we made some tonal shifts from our previous chapter and and from carpenter's original film and and we'd never we'd never previewed the final cut of this movie to an audience mm mm-hmm. And so we didn't usually you'll test screen a movie and then you think, OK, now everybody likes it or we feel good with the scores or we, uh, I got what I need out of it. Now we'll lock the picture. But this was we, we completed this during the pandemic without a proper screening. And so I was uh, I was very proud of the movie. And in some ways, I thought, let me just put it on a shelf and hopefully nobody will will ask any questions because everybody's preoccupied with other things. And. But at the same time, I did have a little unease because this is a far more violent chapter. It's yep. not, um, it's not as restrained and and calculated as as certainly as Carpenter's original film, which I, I behold as uh, the holy grail of uh, of horror. So I thought we took a lot of chances, and I was very curious to see how those would be received. I'm also a filmmaker that doesn't want to make the same movie twice. Mm-hmm. I'd never made a sequel, and in in some weird ways, I'm starting this franchise as a sequel and now I'm making a sequel to the sequel, but I want it to be new and different. And, and you know, you look at a lot of s- sequels to successful movies and they kind of just expound on what they did or, or it's the, you know, the, you flip the characters positions and now it's Crocodile Dundee and, and it goes to LA or, you know, or it's, it's uh, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker flip out who the flip, who the fish out of water is. And hmm. this one I really wanted to t- take what we would established, but then go in a bit of a different direction. So it wasn't so familiar tonally, technically. And I also just wanted to kind of rampage, explode and have some fun.
0: That's a really interesting choice of words because uh, there is, this is a film I think that is driven by rage in a lot of ways. And there is the rage of... The Survivors, there's there's Laurie who's come to terms with her rage and, and beginning to focus it in a different way. I definitely want to talk about where you leave her. Uh, there's Tommy who has rage in a different way also. Uh, the mob mentality that that rises up through the movie. And then there's Michael himself, who in this movie is angry in a way that I've never seen this character. And I know that they're, you know, that we're focusing on on your timeline and your version of, of, of this character. But he's on the rampage in this film. That, that's That scene, for example, early on where he has killed the elderly couple and you have that horrifying shot of the woman who's dying and she's watching Michael Myers just go over and stab her husband's corpse repeatedly. That feels new to me. Where did that idea come from to explore that rage in Michael Myers? I mean, what, what he does in this movie is brutal to almost everybody he meets.
4: Yeah, well, that scene in particular came from conversations in all in all of these films. We, we call them uh, art projects. That you'll often see the aftermath of a kill, and it'll be a gravestone in in a bed, or someone pinned to a wall, or these moments that off screen seem almost impossible. But he stages these little murder tableaus. Hmm. But we've never seen him actually do that, and so our idea of turning lenny clark into a pin cushion because of the opportunity of these multiple knives on a magnetic strip in the kitchen mm. just kind of came out of sitting in, i was standing in my kitchen and we were uh, i was on the phone with my co-writers who were in their kitchens we we're walking around our homes looking for domestic tools of destruction <laughs> and then there was just i was just looking at this magnet thinking wouldn't that be interesting if it was not one not two because he was indecisive and just auditioning blades <laughs> yes <laughs> um and then and then and then the humanity of the actor honestly the that's that's the fun concept as a writer if you want to call it fun that's 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 us geeking out as horror fans thinking wow this is terrific but then we cast the film and we have the amazing diva tyler who i've worked with several times and she's um for those that don't notice she's the caretaker of the cemetery in our previous chapter that's escorting the podcast hosts through to judith meyer's gravestone and i just adore her as a talent and She's such a human, wonderful person. And if you talk to her about what she does for a living when she's not acting, it, it, it moves you. And she's such a powerful personality that I, I didn't want to watch her die. I wanted to uh, observe her humanity as she's watching this, uh, this, this design, this graphic design of Michael in, in the brutality of her husband. And, and it just, it was not in the script. It was not in the, Okay. Storyboards as we design the sequence, it was just in a moment uh, as an idea of a shot, based on her expression that she was having as a, a moment of authenticity on the set, and I just it's it is it's hard to watch sometimes uh, because it is a a balance of filmmakers, storytellers trying to to make a movie that people want to eat popcorn and have a good time at the movies, and at the same time there are moments of of reality that I feel like are essential in a, in a, in a tale this graphic, where we say there, there are human be- beings behind the stories of this horror.
0: Um, was that something as well you wanted to explore, that idea that, that Michael seems particularly ticked off in this movie? He's gone full Peter Finch and network. He's mad as hell and he's not going to take <laughs> it anymore. I mean, what he does to Cameron at the end, for example,
4: is wow. Right. Yeah. He's just playing the piano with his head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's... It's interesting to, to light this mask. W- w- what I love about this character is it is expressionless, emotionless. It's just a blank canvas for us to project our fear upon. Right. But but if you see him in certain lighting situations, you can find these subtle. There's only one mask. I mean, we have a backup mask in case something happens to the one mask, but there's one mask in the movie. But then when you see him walk out of a burning house, you can almost see a smile the way that it's lit. And that's not necessarily intentional, but I almost feel like it's, it's cosmically coming out of James Jude Courtney in that performance is that you can see this, he's, he's kind of like pleased with himself. Or there's a moment at the end in that, that kind of abstract ballet of, of murder of the mob. Mm. And there's moments where he looks angry as he turns. And then there's moments where he's got a little sliver of a smile. And it's literally he's we're filming that on a, in, a, in, a, in a darkened room on a stage with a turntable. And it's literally like um, it's like a ballerina in a music box. It's mm-hmm. just him killing people as they're spinning around and our cameras in one place, zooming in and out. And uh, and it's so fascinating to see how like if he just made and there's one light and uh, it's a, a light from behind to emulate a headlight of a car. And so you'll just see little turns and you'll find ways that the shadows in the eyes and the curvature of the mouth and these these subtle expressions and it, it then we get to edit around those and find the moments that we, of the story we want to tell
0: i'm glad you brought that up the uh the 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 mob murder at the end because the 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 last 5 minutes of the film i thought was really really interesting uh, how you approached stylistically because when you have the abstract way you shot it you have Laurie's uh oh what's We're happening in trouble <laughs> uh oh
4: here she is oh my gosh. <laughs> the
1: last 10 minutes of the movie are a masterpiece
4: <laughs> Yay. there we go there she is she's gone now look i got goosebumps there every go. time i see her i get goosebumps <laughs> well so so because of
0: the way that you know that you shoot it it's really interesting it's it's disorienting and it feels dreamlike because you have you have Laurie's voiceover going in there as well. You have what happens to, or what may happen to Karen. You have Michael, you know, taking out the mob and then coming back into the Myers house. So how much of it did you want that dreamlike quality to perfade the audience? And how much of what we see actually happens?
4: Those are two questions. Make sure I don't forget the last part because that's interesting. Okay. Um, we shot seven weeks all night long and we all went crazy uh, during, the, during the production process of, of the movie. Now, it was extreme, extremely difficult to make the movie. It's always fun because I'm with my best friends in the world, and we're making movies, and we're making a Halloween movie, and Jamie Lee Curtis is there, and like, what's cooler than that? Nothing. <laughs> but it's hard, and, the, and, the, and I, I have to say the script that Danny and Scott and I wrote is very ambitious to do mm-hmm. in 35 days. 35 nights, um, because usually we'd have one or two takes to get everything right. And we have the, the genius Chris Nelson as our makeup and effects guy. And we have, we have the, the team of your dreams, but we just don't have necessarily the time that you would use to, to do it right. Sure. And so I had no idea. I would leave every night wondering if we got it or if it was worthless or what we were doing. And. I have. I'm not usually that anxious as a filmmaker, but I did have anxiety, and a lot of it is because of those sleepless nights. Uh, where you know I'm living off of three to four hours of sleep uh, because then I get up in the day, a phone's ring, and I got to prep the next night. And so it became very surreal. In fact, that sequence that we're talking about on the turntable was 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 a fix because we ran out of light when we were filming the scene on the street. Uh, or We ran out of dark. Sun came up. We're done. Got to go home. Shit. We didn't get a third of what I wanted to get because it's challenging as making movies is hard and yeah. uh, all the various things we were up against that night. And so we opened up a, a stage when we were doing the, the interior shots of the home burning on one side, those are logistic shots and it takes an hour between each setup to do it safely. Cause we got a light shit on fire. Mm -hmm. And so a hundred yards away, we set up this basically black curtains in a, in a turntable with a headlight on it. And again, it's four in the morning and we're burning something over here, which is crazy. And we're trying to film firefighters storming into a, into a house. And then over here, we've just got Zorro with his sword going crazy on a turntable. And it was a, it was a beautiful opera of a night because it's just this, this uh, dance of, of logistics and everything becomes abstract at a point. So it really did take on this dreamlike surreal approach. And then, and, then, uh, and then we wrap the movie and I sleep for three days and I wake up not knowing what we have done and if we have <laughs> anything that's, that's uh, even uh, comp- can you even comprehend what we've done? And, and then the editor just shows up and he's just smiling. He just got this big grin Uh, Tim Alverson and he just shows up and he's like, there's a movie here. And, 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 uh, and then from the very first time I saw the rough cut, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is a weird one. I hope people will take this ride with us.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. And the the second part of my question was how much of what we see is, is actually happening now? How much of it is Laurie's imagination and imagination playing tricks on her?
4: I would say two things. One is everything that we're seeing is happening and it's lori's imagination trying to process what has happened so i think so the answer is yes to both of those things i think it's Lori, lori's philosophy is that michael has transcended into creating a new it's not just the boogeyman that or it's not just a stalker that has come into her home with a knife it is a boogeyman that kids will be afraid of as they as the story of the of, of michael permeates Haddonfield permeates the state, the city, the town, the, uh, the country as in reality, Michael Myers, the movie monster has, I I mean, I bet you, I bet you there's a million people in the world that have had bad dreams about Michael Myers, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like I know I did and, and have recently. So it is, uh, it is something that is beyond just the specificity of, Nick Castle with a mask on in a John Carpenter movie scaring mm-hmm. people at the cinema. And it becomes a real life transcendent type of fear. So that's one of the things that I think Lori is processing and, and concentrating on, which is why I thought we could take the leap uh, or at least the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it, it, it kind of defies geography and time when Michael shows up at the very end of the film. hmm it it, it 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 he is he has leapt into a space that would be would be complicated for him to literally have a, arrived in but yeah. yet he has because just as people can believe some far out things and conjure those realities i think that's what's happened with michael
0: so you, the, so there's an element running through the film about the uh, the, the mob mentality and uh, the power of belief and how quickly how quickly a, a bad idea can go wrong and can affect people as well. So Michael in a weird way is the almost living avatar of that in a way as well. He is, he is that mob mentality, that rage made flesh. And so that allows him to do things that a, a mortal man wouldn't necessarily be able to do.
4: I think so. I mean, I think he's a mortal man. I don't feel like he's uh, transcended into being supernatural. I think he's spectacular and he's resilient and, you know i remember as a kid you'd watch uh these giant religious venues where someone that couldn't walk could then you know the 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 mm-hmm. preacher puts his hand on his forehead and then and then the the kid drops his crutches and can now take those steps and i used to look at that very skeptically and think what kind of um charlatan is this but i, I do believe in the power of congregation i do believe in the power of optimism and 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 th- that what that does is illustrate the positive version of this of a collective consciousness saying they're praying, they're meditating, they're concentrating the belief within someone that's the subject of that intensity has now found the confidence to take that step to throw those crutches down mm-hmm. and and to defy what doctors have told them and scientists say is real. And then so I think the, the, I have a kind of a a philosophy that there's that there's that good that can be done with the mindset of a of a collection of people that feel passionate about something and then the danger is obvious the horror is obvious when people go 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 negative even if their intentions are are right and pure and true that that can get really fucked up
0: (laughs) this is true as you said i believe in the power of optimism i was thinking but david this isn't a terribly optimistic film (laughs) I (laughs) i mean it's 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 pretty brutal i mean i guess part of that is being the second part of a of a trilogy that at the same time you can't have a, a happy song and dance flowers everywhere. And you have to, you have to put your, your heroes through the ringer.
4: Right. And it's interesting when, you know, we're at the, st- we've written Halloween ends and, 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 some people read it and think that's a happy ending. And other people read it and think that's not a very happy ending, you know? So I like the, <laughs> I like the, the way that I, I think that's great. To me, that's a win, you know, if, if it's a conversation and it's not obvious because I do feel like there's such a blurry line between good and evil once once your intentions aren't necessarily in line with the the reality yeah i think it gets it gets very interesting so to me the the greatest thing about a movie is that it could be a conversation after you walk out of the theater
0: which brings me to specifically karen judy greer doesn't look too great for her does it uh what's what's your take on that can we can we is, is that it for karen
4: Yeah, I think I might, I might, I might hold a no comment on that one. All right, no worries. (laughs) I I need to consult some others before I answer.
0: Because I was watching the movie, thinking you're not leaving many people around for Halloween Ends, David. I mean, this is
4: well, I I will say, Halloween Ends is a much more intimate movie, and it's um, uh, it there's not a lot of games in it. It's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of wittiness and retro joy and things like that it's it's kind of a coming of age film and it's a it's a very different tone and and that's what excites me about it is to have the three chapters that i've been involved in be very different from each other and Mm. and i think they all are there to honor carpenter but aren't necessarily just emulating him i mean there's certainly sequences that i'm trying to do whatever i can to make it look like halloween 1978 and halloween kills and those recreations were done very meticulously and intentionally but at the same time i want a very different movie actually i sent carpenter the the new draft of halloween ends the other night and i said um if it feels too christine let me know <laughs> <So>. <laughs> too
0: pristine or too christine too
4: christine okay because, you know I've, i'm very uh, as a filmmaker i've always been very influenced by I would say, as a film fan, I've been very influenced in, uh, by John Carpenter. I just love his movies. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've emulated his style until now, and 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 things that are that I see why he's drawn to the stories and the characters and the set pieces that he's drawn to. And so, for Halloween Ends, it's, it, for me, it's just it's a love of Carpenter. You know, it's um, more than just hey, here's a character in a in a community that you've created. It's 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 here's uh, an appreciation of your 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 legendary body of work.
0: You, you have me with Christine quite frankly. But uh <laughs> but uh, I I do want to talk about about Laurie as well because you do something really interesting in this in this movie you put Laurie in in hospital in what is essentially Halloween 2 but then you do not do Halloween 2 2.0 you uh, in fact, don't even have her and Michael in the same scene at any point. And how much of that was a function of deciding to set this movie immediately after the first one, which therefore means that she's recovering from her injuries, or how much of it was you and and Scott and Danny wanting to push what you were doing with this character?
4: That's hard. I mean, there's a lot of conversations that lead up to that because if we are if you if you see the path that they took on Halloween two you you almost have to make a a narrative where Laurie is Michael's sister. Yeah. You, you see why like if he's literally after her, then you have to justify why he's after her and it was, it was a very conversa uh, a controversial conversation to have with uh, or with our team of executives and and crew and people that 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 are are that know that a big a big part of the draw for the audience is Michael versus Laurie, like that's a it's a beautiful, essential part of the mythology. So if we're going to make that not the focus of this, if we're if they're if they're not siblings, he can't be after her. And so where where's where does he go after he escapes the, the fire? And that, so it's creating uh, a, a beacon for him. And for me, that felt honest for him to go home because that's something you know the night he came home is a is a is a thematic element of of the original film and and I think that was what I was very much drawn to so then if if we have that and then we've kind of written ourselves into a corner by opening a gash in Lori's gut and she's got to, she's got to go get a surger- surgery you know so uh, and once she's had that she's not going to get up and just chase after him so it's a matter of trying to Find that balance of, of realities, but then build enough scenarios of excitement around them where we can keep, continue the development of their characters in an exciting way. Take them on a fresh path that hasn't necessarily been explored in a Halloween film before hmm. and leave the audience feeling satisfied, but, but looking forward to the concluding chapter that is a year from now.
0: And uh, I, I know you've said in an interview already that there will be a small time jump between kills and ends. And presumably, is that, is that to allow Laurie to recuperate physically and emotionally?
4: Yeah, she doesn't want to be in a hospital gown in the next chapter. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, yeah we, we go current day. So if it comes out in October of 23, that's when it takes place. Uh, giving, giving the characters not only a time to recover, but also process the trauma of 2018 and to look at how radically the world has been spinning so fast for those years between Halloween 2018 and. Twenty three, is that right? No, twenty two, right? Okay, I'm I'm getting my
0: <laughs> twenty two, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: I'm getting my October's confused. <laughs> yeah, so th- then it'll be it'll take place October twenty two.
0: Okay, interesting. And uh, there's a, there's an interesting moment in the in the movie as well, where you know Laurie has been convinced for so long that Michael is fixated on her, and here because you introduce this notion of. Generational pain and this notion that that there are other victims of Michael from that night back in 1978. She begins to realize that it's not about her necessarily. Like Hawkins thinks it's about him, for example. Tommy thinks it's about him, and none of them are right, and but yet none of them are wrong in a in a strange way.
4: Yeah, that was honestly that's an idea from my director of photography, Michael Simmons, as he's like, he he's just citing elements of history and relationships where people put the the experience of a hardship on themselves when it not, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with them. Like people, it's almost like when a tragedy happens, you want to raise your hand and say, I was there, or I was nearby, or, or this is how it hurt me or helped me or whatever the selfish intention it is, is, um, with that. And I think that's it's a very common thing. And, and when he, when he brought that up, I thought that was a fun thing to inject into the story.
0: Is that why you specifically wanted to go back to 1978 and extend the circle of people who were, Affected by Michael on that night, so you have you know now lonnie you have what happens with Jim cummings character as well. You know you have you 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 widen the circle a little bit. So you have Tommy, you have you know the 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 nurse from the first movie as well. Was that something that you wanted to to do to almost take the focus away from Laurie a, a little bit?
4: Yeah, I think that was just an opportunity to expand and see how fear, immediate fear, affects other people and how other people have processed and how rage. And uh, and frustration can affect an entire community. So it is just taking it a little bit out of the domestic intimacy of the previous chapters.
0: Hmm. And uh, I think we only got a few minutes left, David. So am I might I might quickly go into uh, <laughs> something approximating a speed round, if that's okay with you. Okay. Um, All right. So uh, I want to talk about Loomis. Because you have yeah. you have Loomis in this movie. Um, which is, you know so that's a is that an actor doing Donald Pleasance's voice and then a Donald Pleasence lookalike. How did you pull that
4: off? Yeah, it's an actor doing Donald Pleasance's voice and then a lookalike. It's the construction coordinator who was building the Myers house and we looked over and saw that Tom looks just like Donald Pleasance. Actually we noticed it on the first on the first film. We thought, if we need a Loomis lookalike, we've got him on the crew. So <laughs>
0: Uh, And in a way, do you think that Laurie is turning into the new Loomis by the end of the film? No.
4: That's interesting um i don't know why i jumped on that but i think no <laughs> okay okay uh, maybe it's because i have a, her ultimate destination and, you know yeah, yeah you've written it so you know <laughs> what you know what happens okay yeah. yeah
0: she's not going around wearing a raincoat in halloween ends for example and, <laughs> and warning about black eyes she's not warning about yeah. that at all um and i have to ask about bringing back uh, charles cyphers as well and and then dispatching charles cyphers was, was that was that always the plan
4: um, no, but it, it, I I love, I love Charles Cyphers, and he's been a part of so many movies that I grew up in the '80s, '70s, and '80s watching. And and so we got him out of retirement for this, and he agreed to come hang out with us, which is very very cool. Um, and then we were looking to you know make this climactic moment as dramatic and strange and off putting and and alluring as it, as we could, so that w- we wanted to have that moment of of possible redemption for bracket as he has been haunted by the death of his daughter for 40 years and gone on with his life and his ways. And then we think right when he's got a moment to, to do what needs to be done, hmm. doesn't work out so good for him.
0: And it doesn't work out well, of course for, for Tommy either. And Tommy has as much, well, maybe not as much blood on his hands as Michael Myers. He's killed loads of people, but there is blood on Tommy's hands. So, was there, was there, can you talk about that and, and, and talking about the, the, the mob mentality portion of the movie as well?
4: Yeah. And it was, it was that, it's that line that, that Brackett has after, after the man jumps out of the window is now he's turning us into monsters, which again is just illustrating that blurry line between people that think they're doing the right thing and they're going for vigilante justice, but it, they, they were misguided and misinformed. And look what happened. is there anyone else
0: from the halloween playbook that you have up your sleeve
4: um you mean for for the next chapter
0: yeah any other characters who might be knocking around who you didn't use in in kills
4: not really although i'm not opposed to it um and i haven't begun casting but as as it's currently scripted there's not a you know sometimes i'll get into a moment and think well let's bring this was a random character written but there's an opportunity here to do something cool with a legacy character and that's that's what happened and kills a couple of times and so i wouldn't necessarily say i won't but i don't have any plans to at this point
0: <laughs> okay and uh and will Patton hawkins seems pretty convinced he's gonna have a big hero moment uh, what, can, you, can you say anything about that
4: i love will you know he's my neighbor in charleston so uh <laughs> he, he he uh he won't leave me alone, so he, wants to, he, wants to, he didn't like being in a hospital bed the whole movie in the last one, so he wants to do some cool shit in this one. So.
0: Did you know he was alive in the first Halloween whenever he gets the scalpel in the, in the neck, or at what point in the process did you think? Okay, no, you but- know
4: what? I would not have, I would not have rid, driven over him. Uh, I would not have run over his legs if I had it to do over again in the previous chapter, <laughs> because that really... That's going to kind of limit what uh, what he's capable of in, in Halloween Ends, and and he's he's very angry about that. He wants he wants to you know he wants to become he wants to become the hero. He wants to be the Loomis, but he's not going to get to because he's he he's he's too fucked up. We <laughs> all
0: want to be the Loomis, David. We all want to be the Loomis <laughs> or the Lori, or, or Loomis Lori hybrid. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But uh, but listen, I'm going to let you go. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and uh, best of luck on Halloween Ends.
4: Thank you so much. Talk to you in a
0: year. Indeed. See you soon. Cheers, David. Take care. Bye. Okie dokie. So, that was David Gordon Green saying some very interesting things, I would say, about Halloween kills. Um, we may delve into those as we go along. But first of all, let's just get a general overview where we all stood on this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm on as the person who's always yelling at horror movies uh, when characters in horror movies do stupid things or make terrible decisions that end up getting themselves killed. How did you react to this movie? In particular, I would say, the last 15 minutes.
3: With immense frustration, Chris. Uh,
2: (laughs) I was sat two seats down from you. I confirmed. There was hooting. There was hollering. There was gesticulation. Even your gesticulating made noises of, what are you doing?
3: (laughs) Oh my gosh. So much, what are you doing uh, in this movie? Yeah, it was very frustrating to watch because I feel like, in a Bella halloween movie you know part of the fun is watching like i think a lot of the premise of this in terms of watching a whole sort of community rise up against this monster there's a lot to mine from that if you do it in a smart way but the way in which they go about it is just you're shaking your head you don't really care for the characters because they're so dumb and that just does not lead to a very entertaining viewing experience at least it didn't for me
0: Jamie Lee Curtis, in her brief cameo in an interview with David Gordon Green, uh, and again in the interview I did with her for the regular podcast, is a very, very famous defender of the ending. As you heard, she came in. She said the last ten minutes of this movie are a masterpiece. Hell's Wells, mm. do you concur? N-
1: no, I, I had a lot of the same issues that Amon was having, and was I was similarly kind of rolling my eyes at a lot of it because I, I just I get what he's trying to say about mob justice and fear being weaponized, and and you know. People being kind of driven to do crazy things by fear, but the problem is, if you put that with Michael Myers, who is an objectively terrifying force, and objectively, it is rational to be f- afraid of him. It is rational to act on that fear and to take extreme measures to protect everybody. At that point, it is harder to make that case. Do You know what I mean? So it 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 just was fundamentally misconceived in the way it was presented because I I kind of felt like. Well, if there's ever a case for mob, you know, mobs to be out hunting someone, this is actually a pretty good case for mobs to be out hunting someone because it is not safe to go out on your own and he does have to be found or he absolutely will kill again. So it it kind of just takes away from it a lot for me. And and I I I get what they tried to do with the with the escaped mental patient and that was a little bit more effective and, and obviously horrible and tragic, but you know, that also just so much of that didn't make sense either. You've got her locking him in a corridor, which has glass at either end. So he's very visible to people coming up the stairs, which people are doing. She, she locks the door herself on the outside. So the mob are on the outside as well and can immediately open the door when they get there. Like, you know, none of that made any sense to me as a plan. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that kind of thing kind of undermined what I think the film was trying to do. I think there is the kernel of a good idea here, and it could possibly even work in a Halloween film or or in a film like this to make points about the mm-hmm. way that fear is weaponized. but i and that's been done in in some great great mm-hmm. horror movies. But I don't think this one succeeded in it,
0: Ben, where do you stand in this? We all we've seen in the last year in the states, particularly, how, Fear and anger can foment, and uh, hysteria can tip over the edge and and turn into mob rule or mob justice or or uprisings or rebellions or whatever you want to call uh, whatever happened in the states on Jan 6th in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where do you stand on on it in this movie? Do you think because well, David Gordon Green and his co writers Scott Teams and Danny McBride they clearly have high ideas that they're trying to apply to their very
2: very simple tale of a a man in a William Shatner mask stabbing people. Do you think that, that worked? I was pretty mixed on it. Same with Helen in that I think there is a kernel of a good idea there, this kind of notion of of people uniting to try and conquer fear. But when, when that is in the shape of Michael Myers, you think of what happened at the start of this year uh, in in washington that was a bunch of people who were like i don't like what's happening and i'm gonna go and do what i can whereas this it's perfectly legitimate for people to be like i don't like what's happening because <laughs> michael myers is going around haddonfield slicing people up with a big old knife mm-hmm. so i think it was a a a solid metaphor applied to the wrong thing mm-hmm. and in terms of like the stupid decisions that people make in this film i actually quite enjoy horror films where people make believably stupid decisions where people are panicked people are in fear people aren't used to combat situations and maybe do the dumb thing do the wrong thing there were some instances of in this film Mm -hmm. where i was just like you you are just taking me out of the scene because these characters are uh, uh, characters are inexperienced and should therefore be trying to concentrate as much as they can on, on the matter at hand like In that final 10, 15 minutes when they go into the house and Andy Matichak is is walking around with the gun, sees the the gay couple who have been killed in Michael's house and immediately puts her gun down and goes up towards him. It's like, no, what are you doing? That's the wrong kind of dumb decision, man. And then her, her boyfriend, Cameron... Yeah. decides Just to go off. off.
0: Look, well, I've got, we should probably talk about yeah. his dad, first of all, <laughs> oh, Lonnie, yeah. who is introduced at the beginning of the movie as a kid who has an encounter with Michael Myers on the night uh, of Halloween in 1978, which, of course, replaces the events of the John Carpenter, well, yeah. not directed, mm-hmm. but the the can, previously canonical Halloween two, not to be confused with the Rob Zombie Halloween two, which is also now, well, so it's helpful. never non-canonical, mm-hmm. but this is... Oh, I get so confused doing this, but this is this is Halloween two. This is now the canonical Halloween two, erasing the event of the previous Halloween two. All right, okay. It's Halloween good. two three. It's Halloween two point oh. Because if it's Halloween two three, then it's yeah, it's Halloween two the third. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Got
4: gotcha, you. Got you. asked me, but no, sure. No, it's it's all very, very clear. It's very very it's clear. It's so, very simple. <laughs>
0: So Lonnie is introduced at the beginning of that. I thought really effective prologue, the yep, one with yep. uh, Jim Cummings and, um, you know, Michael Myers and that really uncanny, I know there were some prosthetics in, in play, but that uncanny double for Donald Pleasance, yeah, where really I genuinely thought it was yeah. CG, but it's not. It's just a bloke lead walking around <laughs> set. It's kind <laughs> of amazing. Nuts. Hey, that guy looks like Donald Pleasance. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just throw some prosthetics on him and get him to run in. Michael! Michael! Um, so, anyway, so Lonnie gets introduced, has an encounter with Michael. Michael doesn't kill him. The one thing Michael doesn't do in these movies, it seems to be, is to kill kids. That may be the line he has yet to cross. So there's you know, there's a sliver of goodness in him. There's not. So he encounters Lonnie. Lonnie then, there's, a little th- there's an element running through this movie about Survivor's guilt mm-hmm. a little bit and about the idea of revenge and whose place it is to exact that revenge and that vengeance and lonnie is one of the many characters in this movie who feels it is his duty it's his right to kill michael myers that still doesn't i think excuse the fact he drives up to that house with two people who have guns uh, or at least you know arms Mm -hmm. with them and then he goes he's basically goes all right son i need to go into this house on my, own. All my yeah. own. Me and Michael, we have a history. Don't worry, it's fine. We're gonna sit down, we're
3: gonna talk it out, we're Those, gonna hash it out. I mean, it's all the more frustrating because we know that this franchise is capable of better. Like even in the previous film, Halloween, one of the things that I loved about that film was the finale, because it you know, we had characters who actually thought about this stuff and had a smart plan and executed it pretty well. And that was just like one film ago. And then to have so many characters acting just completely idiotically, so much of the time, it's just annoying.
1: Why wouldn't Lonnie call his friends who he knows are out and about looking for Michael Myers at exactly that moment in town? It
0: was 2018, cell phone reception was terrible back then. (laughs) (laughs) The technology just wasn't there.
1: Look, I I don't want to burst your bubble here, but we did have phones in 2018. Like, it, it could be done.
0: Really? Like, what, an iPhone 9? I mean, <laughs> who's going to oh call anyone gosh. with that? They'd be embarrassed to be calling anyone with that. Oh, my wow. God. Um, other iPhones are available and other phones are available. Other phones? In fact. Yeah, but so Lonnie goes in with, with Lonnie. I, I just think that is possibly the stupidest thing I've ever seen a character do in a horror film. I
1: mean it's and it's I, a yeah that's a high bar, but I know you my might horror be right. Films. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, there, there's an awful lot of, you know, that's that that's split up. There's an awful lot of that going on in a lot of classic horror films. Mm. Um but that is extravagantly stupid, yeah. I would say. And he perhaps deserves what's coming to him. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? But Cameron, his kid, uh, who, yeah. you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? with what he does uh, five minutes after that. And then he is killed in the most brutal way imaginable. I mean, mm. that's quite horrific.
1: Yeah.
2: Death by Bannister. I mean, mm. th- th- there are some maybe more inventive kills in this one, but maybe feel quite out of character, I would say, for for Michael Myers. But um, yeah, shoving that's, the head through the Bannisters and yeah,
1: and It was, it was it reminded me of American History X and I don't like when but deaths remind me of the one in American History X.
0: The old curb stomping.
1: The curb stomp, yeah. yeah. That's one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen on film.
0: Curb stomp your enthusiasm. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Reminds me of uh, Born
3: and Cell Block 99. Oh, cracking film. Lots but, of curb stomping in I mean,
1: it, it is worth mentioning that just this film is incredibly brutal. Like the deaths mm. in this. I, I don't remember Halloween, certainly, or even Halloween 2018 being quite this gruesome. Maybe it was, and I, I'm I just blanked it, blanked it out. There's a,
0: and I tried to get David Gordon Green in this a couple of times, and he kind of sidestepped it both times, I think, where I I, I was talking about, there's an idea in this movie that Michael, I think for the first time really, mm. is mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. Mm. There's an idea that if, if we exclude all the other Halloween movies, apart from... Apart from, obviously, the Carpenter Halloween, that's yep. the 78 Halloween. So 78, 18, 78, and this one. 18 and this one. Right. So those are the only three in play at the moment, season to which, obviously, is an outlier. And then everything else, the Rob everything. Zombies. Yeah, yeah. h two. Yeah, I love that film, but yes. Mm, me too. Let's, take those, let's set them aside. So we're, we're taking Michael Myers' through line from the 78 Halloween through to the 2021 Halloween kills. And there's a, there's a demonstrable um, escalation in violence and brutality. The first Halloween is a movie not necessarily about a psycho killer, although it is that. It's a movie about a stalker. It's mm-hmm. a movie about a man who toys with his prey. It's a movie about a killer who will literally follow Laurie Strode all day long, unsettle her all day long, and wait for the moment to strike. This Michael Myers, I think I was even different than the in the 2018, where he was a bit more of a blunt instrument who just enjoyed killing for killing's sake, I would say. The 2021 Michael Myers is absolutely just an instrument of rage mm. and a, an instrument of brutality, but also a sadist who yeah. is enjoying the kill and the inventiveness of the kill in ways that we've never seen before.
1: And also, kind of displaying the bodies for people mm. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a real. I mean, the, the putting the bodies on that uh, merry-go-round in mm-hmm. the kind of kids' play park and stuff. Yeah. That's a level of. I mean, that's kind of predator behavior.
0: I mean, that that goes back to the '78 one where he he does hide, he hides bodies around the house once mm. he's killed. He only kills three people in the first in mm-hmm. the first movie, mm-hmm. and once he once he kills people, he does tend to hide. You know, there's that sequence where Laurie's running through the house and you know the the bodies of her friends start leaping out of her. So there isn't that—that's that element of showmanship, mm. you know. He's wearing a William Shatner mask. he could got to put on a show, right? You know. <laughs> uh, but there's definitely, for me anyway, a step uh, towards the grotesque and a step towards even the, the I guess, the Baroque, really, with mm. with the the brutality of the murders, the murder of the the couple after he kills all the firefighters, mm. the murder oh, of geez. the couple. That we- scene, and I talked to David Gordon Green about this a little bit, but that scene where the uh, woman is dying. And she's, she can just about dimly make out Michael just going across trying to th- and trying to find the perfect knife, but mm-hmm. also just sticking it into her husband. Just mm-hmm. knife, okay, that doesn't work. Okay, sticking it to him. Right, here's another one, sticking it to him. That's different. That's a different mm-hmm. Michael Myers I think we're dealing yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Did, did that work for you? I mean, did, these are horror films, essentially. They're meant to be about gore and kills and fun. <laughs> I know how <laughs> yeah. that makes me sound, but still, and, uh, did that work for you?
2: A, a bit, but there was something. I know this film is not part of this continuity, but I rewatched Halloween 2 before seeing the uh, wasn't one not the Rob Zombie one not the Rob Zombie one and I kind of missed bits of like Michael not killing people there's a whole like sequence Mm. in that early on where he's stalking into people's houses in the neighborhood as you say Chris he's a stalker uh, and he he goes into the kitchen of a couple's house and you see him looming in the background that he gets a knife And he leaves that couple alone. He leaves with the knife. He's basically just retooling. Mm. Um, And there was something about this one where it's like every single character you see Mm -hmm. is going to be at some point killed by Michael Myers. And Mm -hmm. I I felt a bit bludgeoned by the end of the film. I mean, I think overall, I'm actually slightly more positive on on this film than the rest of the people in the room. I generally enjoyed... um, I, I think David Gordon Green does a good job of the general, like tension and the mm-hmm. atmosphere building of those kills of the amount of timing that you need and yeah sort of misdirecting the audience or or kind of playing with the audience of where you think Michael's going to be etc I think he does that stuff well it's, it's the stuff around it that's a bit of a problem well but even staged. so yeah. uh, by the end I was just like Michael Myers isn't the dude who kills everybody he's the guy who stalks a lot and makes sure he always has a knife on him often kills people but doesn't Kill everybody, mm-hmm. and I, I thought it needed a bit more of that rhythm. Yeah, to have death, some the, people not die. The yeah. death of that, that couple in particular felt very unnecessary.
1: Yeah, they were so nice. Yeah,
2: and it, it's one of those things as well where I think there's. Maybe some good intention to have like a diverse cast of characters in this film to have like a black couple and a gay couple and to have it not just be like straight white people in this town. But then I think when it's in this context in this film and it's just everyone being brutalized, it then means that you're watching all of these people just basically yes. being mm-hmm. horribly killed in a way that's mm-hmm. like kind of just I, I see what you're trying to do but that equal opportunities murder fest also doesn't quite feel right. It's like yeah. Halloween Kills has not seen freaky <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but it's uh yeah I really
0: like that uh, couple Marcus and Vanessa the doctor and the nurse as well mm. and oh, yeah, they were, they were pretty brutally dispatched mm-hmm. uh, especially him my god mm. uh, and then of course you have the, um, the big John and little John. Uh, they were couple. lovely There's an amazing bit of trivia, which I'm sure you've seen on Twitter, (laughs) but Michael McDonald, who plays Little John, was also a one of Doctor Evil's henchmen. He was the guy in the first Austin Powers movie who was killed by the steamroller. You know that amazing joke? (laughs) Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh! And, and then it cuts, to, it cuts to the, the wide shot and the steamroller is literally 30 feet away. Um, that's So that means he has been killed on screen by Mike Myers and Michael oh! Myers. So that's
2: glorious. That's cool. I wondered why I recognised that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he had like a familiar energy uh, to him. That, as soon as you said that it made sense in my head. That's incredible. <laughs> if only he'd gone the same way in this movie.
4: <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
0: we don't see what happens to Little John. He's one of the few murders that occurs off screen. We kind of, you know, we kind of see it a little bit but um if i just want michael myers to get into a steamroller now
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't give them ideas
2: that's the other thing though with michael myers because he's always i think historically been quite a slow character mm. like that's he's got that same kind of intense presence as an old school zombie where it's like he's not going to run at you yeah but yeah. he will slowly come towards you and unless you've got a quick exit plan he will get to you before you can leave and I think in, in the 2018 film, as you said, Chris, they kind of made him more of a tank. He's like, it was an absolute unit in that mm. movie. But in this one, he's also an absolute unit. But also, I think there's that thing where he's like the most agile person in the world who mm. like will kind of disappear suddenly and then pop up over here. And you're like, Michael, what cardio were you doing in prison? <laughs> and this is a man mm. who is, we're guessing, early 60s. Yeah. Maybe
0: late fifties, ever being generous. Uh, so very generous. I mean yeah.
1: he's meant to have he's meant to be what, have been in prison for is it twenty years in Halloween? So he was six. and Something it's, like that, yeah. He's now 26 in yeah. Halloween, and it's been 40 years. And he's clearly getting a lot of protein. I mean, <laughs> from somewhere. I don't know where. But. <laughs> yeah.
0: He literally stomps a dude's face to bits. That, you know, the, um, the, the Loomis figure from the, the David Gordon Green, the 2018 mm-hmm. one, who turns out to be a Michael Acolyte. Uh, and he stomps his face to bits. So, like, how strong is he? How supernaturally enhanced is he? I thought it was interesting as well in the interview with David Gordon Green because I was talking about the last 10 minutes because the last 10 minutes to me felt really interesting because I wasn't sure that what we were seeing was real. Mm. Um, I I wasn't sure how much of it was Laurie's projection and we haven't even talked about Laurie. We'll get onto Laurie, uh, Red Laurie, Yellow Laurie in a second. But... I wasn't sure if it was Laurie projecting because she's in the hospital. She's stranded far from where the action is. She can't tell what's going on. It all feels a little bit elliptical. It Mm -hmm. all feels a little bit surreal, especially when he's, you know, he's being attacked by the mob and then he gets up and then he starts killing everyone. Tommy Doyle, Sheriff Brackett, they all get fucking killed Uh, which doesn't seem to raise the alarm with anybody um, by the way and then of course there's the end where he supernaturally appears behind Judah Greer's Mm -hmm. Karen and seems to kill her Mm -hmm. seems to kill her again very interesting David Gordon Green wouldn't confirm that so Ah. so what do we think is going on there at the end do we think that Michael Myers in this movie he starts off pissed off because he's been trapped in a house and left for dead and that would that would You. That would annoy you. You'd probably go on a mild spree. (laughs) Mild spree with that. So what he does then he's fueled by this. And then at a certain point, and this kind of echoes stuff that's happened in the, you know, the original canonical trilogy, where there is a sense of, oh, he becomes a supernatural being Mm -hmm. in some way, this unkillable, unstoppable supernatural being. Maybe not quite on the level of Jason Furhees, but you know, in, in the ballpark. Do we think that's what's happening here? How can you possibly explain what happens at the end?
1: I did think that initially. I thought there was something like that going on. I thought it was almost like when she went into the house and stood in that spot, I thought almost it was a, you know, someone else being corrupted by the same madness or do you know what I mean? Something yeah. of that nature and some kind of passing on of the torch or something. And then I thought, no, I thought maybe the film wasn't. Being that original, and it was just Michael Myers has popped up again like he mm-hmm. does. I mean, you know, I guess you can imagine that you know she 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 ran him basically a block or so back, didn't she, a block or two back from the house mm-hmm. that he could skulk his way back in, he could get past the inept police guards go and go back door, to huh? his favorite mm-hmm. spot upstairs. I guess it's possible uh-huh. uh, within the world of this film, but i did I did have that same thought for a moment. I thought, oh, are we doing some kind of almost like passing of the torch kind of thing mm. here or is she going to see something that makes her realise that there's something else out there or she's going to see, I thought she was just going to see that he had survived, I thought she'd mm-hmm. see him across the street mm-hmm. or something
3: I'm conflicted because I like Judy Greer's Karen, and I would like to see her live in another Halloween film. She would like to speak to the manager <laughs> but uh, I feel like if you go back on what we see it feels like a bit of a cheat and I don't like that either mm. um, so yeah I'm conflicted on this one
0: I, I don't think she's dead. I think David Gordon Green's this on that matter was very interesting. As indeed is um, I don't know whether this is news to you guys or whether you've read this because he had said it in, in another interview. As indeed is the fact that Halloween ends takes place four years after this movie. Interesting. So oh. it's going to take place. Uh, it's going to come out basically contemporaneously. So it's going to come out uh, when it's out next year, twenty twenty two. So it's going to take place in twenty twenty two. So four years after the after the first one. So. Uh, he also says it's going to be a different movie, a, a darker and more somber movie, a lower and more intimate movie. So perhaps this was his grand guignol, get the yeah, fucking yeah. blood on yeah, the screen, maybe. squirt the ketchup at everybody kind of thing. And then the next one's going to be even more so a, a treatise on, on grief and loss mm-hmm. and the nature of, of vengeance, but just with Michael somehow and Laurie.
3: Well, with more Laurie than we get in this film, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I, th-
1: I thought that was, you know, I think that's good as far as it goes. I think it shows that there are consequences to you know, violence and to pain and to and mm-hmm. to injury and that you don't just miraculously bounce back unless you are a supernatural beastie or something you know mm. it is not natural to be able to keep going with a knife wound in your side mm. um and, and so I thought that was actually pretty good I, I like that she got out of her bed ready to go fight again and then her stitches burst and she had to go back to bed because she was not ready to go fight again like Come I thought on, that was grandma, quite...
2: back to bed
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta kill the Michael Myers
0: <laughs> yeah yeah grandma you said that last time
1: but you know th- that stuff I thought was was actually pretty uh, effective, because you have to draw a line between your human vulnerable heroes mm-hmm. and your unstoppable, possibly supernatural beastie. And and <laughs> if you don't do that, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? If you, if you just have mm-hmm. two... I mean, this is what people complain about in superhero movies all the time. You've just mm-hmm. got two invulnerable super people hitting each other. Like, where's the stakes? Where's the drama? And this one, at least in that respect, knew where the, the stakes were.
2: Mm-hmm. I think there's a good idea there as well, that idea of of Laurie having it in her head that he's coming after me wherever Mm. I am. Michael's going to be coming here. I'm in the hospital. He's coming to the hospital. I know it, which sort of makes sense for everything that character has been through Mm -hmm. and the connection that she feels she has with Michael and and all of that history at the same time being quite a fun riff on Halloween too, where he does go to the hospital. So then the idea of a twist of, Oh, he's not coming to the hospital. It's all about the house. It's all about the childhood bedroom is an interesting and quite like fun idea but I feel like it, it the way that the screenplay is written doesn't make that that moment where your stomach should drop and you go he's not coming here he's going yeah. there yeah. It should be a big dramatic moment and you just don't it doesn't hit in the way that it should I don't think
1: and that's that's a really interesting moment you're right because it also I think that's more effective than the mob mentality thing because mm. that's showing you know you think it's all about you but get over yourself. You know, I think that's that's actually a much more effective kind of puncturing of that mindset than a lot of what they do with the mob in this movie.
2: Everybody thinks they've got like this special connection with yeah. Michael. Laurie's like, me and Michael, we have this thing yeah. and like Robert Longstreet's character's like, oh, I've got beef with Michael that goes way back. I have to go in the house alone. Yeah. And Michael's just like, uh, I don't know. I don't remember you guys. Just, I, don't I, I, don't I don't know I don't know her.
0: her. But it's interesting because they, they bring back Will Patton as Officer Hawkins. And I, I had written him off. I thought he was dead after yeah. the first movie. So they bring him back and they bring him back just to do a kind of last of the summer wine thing with with, <laughs> with with Laurie in the hospital bed. And you're thinking, well, okay, there's got to be a reason why they bring this guy back for more than just a little bit of philosophical banter. So maybe he'll, maybe something will happen in the Halloween ends. Maybe he yeah, is maybe. the one to kill Michael Myers after what uh, transpired on the, uh, the night of Halloween 1978. But the Laurie thing's really interesting for a number of reasons. So, they, they knew, the screenwriters knew going into this, they had two options with this movie. One is that they could do a Rosenthal Halloween 2 and they could pick it up on the same night, to pick it up almost immediately where, where it leaves off. And um, then you have a problem because your leading lady has a sucking chest wound and that's not going to be something she's going to be able to walk off. Mm-hmm. Or you can set it next year and have Michael somehow come back, then Laurie's going to be okay. They don't do that. And so it's interesting that they actually they chose to embrace and confront the Laurie Strode problem Hmm. which is you go into this movie expecting Laurie Strode and Michael Myers to face off they don't even have a scene together
1: I like that I think yeah. honestly, I think that's really effective, because uh, you know, like I said, like Ben said, I think actually it's getting over that personal connection thing. It's not all about her. Um, you know, she's throwing everything at him. She's done her whole traps and her whole plan that she, you know, all the training she gave her daughter and granddaughter. They've put all of she that into motion. Good, <laughs> well, no, but they put all that into motion, and it did seem to work in the moment. And you know, hmm. she literally burned her house down. You know, taking him out, she threw everything at him. Pretty much literally, and and then okay, what do you do after that?
3: I like it for all the reasons you say. I would have liked it more if what they did with the mob was more effective. Well, yeah, it's just absolutely. that a lot of that stuff was so cliched. With some of the worst dialogue I've heard in any film in a while, you got one of these kinds. It's like he, he's an apex predator. Don't you understand and stuff like that, which just had me rolling my eyes. The evil dies the night chant, which is another thing which had me rolling my eyes. And I feel like when you compare that with the history that Laurie has, has with this monster, you compare those two things, you want to see more of that than what we inevitably get, even though, as you say, the idea in theory has a lot of sort of, you know, smartness to it.
1: But it doesn't have to be one or the other of those. You know, yeah. you could have taken Laurie off the board and still not done yeah. quite such a bad job yeah. with, the, with the mob justicing, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Good points. But the, the other thing I was going to say about Laurie, mm. that this series has chosen to Redcon is the canonical storyline that she and Michael are brother and sister. Yeah. Do you think that works? I mean, I, I think that it, I, I I thought that it really gave him proper motivation. It could be cheesy. It could be a bit played out. But I thought it worked through Halloween 2, then into H2O. Halloween Resurrection, the less said about that, the better. But <laughs> H2O is really <laughs> solid. H2O is... You could yep. argue a better version of Halloween 2018 than Halloween 2018.
1: Mm. I mean, look, it's one of these things that's maybe too neat and too pat. And if they're going somewhere with what Michael is, then I think I'd be happier about it. You know, if there's a reason that this room is so important to him, if there's something that maybe explains him or, or you know, adds to his story or helps us understand what's going on or just is, becomes scarier or whatever else, that's then that's okay then that's a replacement i think for this personal grudge match if you take away the personal grudge match and he's obsessed with this looking out this window and and there's nothing else it's a bit mystifying you don't quite know anything at that point like wh- why is he doing any of this who is he what is he mm-hmm. Where does he get his ideas from? <laughs> you know, like it doesn't.
0: Where does he get those wonderful toys? <laughs> but you know, like
1: what? You know, at that point, what are we? What are we here for? Why is? Why is he this way? Um, and and I'm not saying everything needs to be re- explained. And there is there is something effective to having a mystery. But I, I don't know what the point of any of it is at that point. I, 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 so I kind of feel like there's, there's got to be something else there. If it's not a personal connection, if it's not a personal grudge match, yeah. then what is it? Exactly.
0: Well it's nothing you know it's an imagined confrontation for her. Yeah. Because he's not even going to her house in the 2018 one. He no. just kind of almost happens upon it. You know, it, it, she lures him there in a in a weird way. Um because she's got this she's fixated. She's got this idea that it's going to yeah. it's going to lead to a showdown. And
1: this idea that they're all fixated with him is is a really interesting one and and it is you know it, again it can be very effective if everybody thinks they have a personal beef with Michael that they need to sort out it means they're the one who has to take him down that's 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 clever and that's that's interesting and and that is you know twisted and weird and i like that but then you do need something more from michael himself you need to know something about him not everything maybe but just something more
2: there's got to be some kind of reveal with the window thing, yeah, right because yeah. it felt a bit like um in some of the more recent Star Wars stuff where it's like Hans dice are a thing now. Look mm. out for the dice where they've taken like something from the original film that that was there is a creepy image of him looking out the window. Mm and extrapolated that into it's a thing he's looking out the window but why is he looking out the window they, exactly. that's that's one of the things that i left this film with of of them having really drilled it into me of like you're going to find out why he was always staring out that window
1: um, like is it going to be a thing about you know was there was there child abuse or something was there you know was that the sort of was he made to stand there was it you know was it some kind of um, control thing, or, or some kind of uh, trauma in his childhood, and I don't necessarily—I'm not necessarily saying I want trauma in, in Michael Myers' childhood. And I think
0: as Jimmy <laughs> Curtis. trauma as yeah. Jiminy
1: trauma, Uh or that I want that to be—you know—I don't want that kind of explanation. I don't want it to be easy or pat necessarily at all. Is there something that they're going for with that? Like I don't understand as it stands. What it what it's all about? Ugh.
2: As you were saying that, I instinctively hated it. <laughs> I was like, I do not want no, that. No, no, absolutely um, don't. No, because I, I think something that that is that I do like about Michael Myers and I do like about these films is that, that kind of growing sense of everyone around him of like, oh no, this guy is is He's pure evil. evil. He's yeah. mm-hmm. just an evil dude, and probably not even a dude. He's got like some kind of supernaturalness to him because the amount of times that he gets stabbed and hmm. burned and trapped and whatever and still manages to survive. Yep. So. People People kind of gradually reckoning maybe in a slightly sort of Stephen King way yeah. where you have these kind of ordinary small town folk who suddenly realize that they are facing some kind of vast ancient evil. Yeah. Is I think that's more compelling than like if you then try and humanise him and be like well these bad things happened to him so he went and stabbed a bunch I mean, of people mm. it's like oh no I don't like that as yeah. you
1: know I am not a big fan of explaining bad guys backstories mm. and making them sympathetic and uh, I, just really? I, I just want to be clear I just want to be clear I absolutely do not want that for Michael Myers but I wonder if they're you know if they're going for he just
0: s- wants to something. save the planet Helen <laughs> <laughs> that's all he wants to do he wants to depopulate the world and he's just going about it
2: in his own he's <laughs> strange just, little way he's <laughs>
1: just a force of chaos Yes, man you know he's it's like a dog chasing
2: cars we'll find out all about it in Mike Lificent
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm going to be busy that day it's such a shame
0: Myers coming to Disney Plus <laughs> it's a reframing of the
2: narrative
0: I absolutely love that so would you like it in Halloween ends if mm. um, I'm going to this is a weird thing to, to say we got to hear from him no no we got to see him. No. We get glimpses of his face, but no. not enough to pick him out of the lineup. No. Okay.
1: Hear from him?
3: No. See him?
1: Mm,
3: wouldn't mind. I think he's got a great voice.
1: Imagine <laughs> <laughs> a lovely, lovely voice. <laughs> imagine, if he, imagine if he just paused one day and just started singing like Pavarotti. And you're just, just this gorgeous kind of rich voice yeah no that would be terrifying it's not
3: over until I, the michael myers sings i hope we genuinely see an end though because it felt with this film especially the tension was just not there because mm. of course he's going to survive of course he's everything and it's just evil like evil dies tonight there's actually a sequel due in a year okay evil dies next year evil dies next year it reminded me of The Walking Dead and why I just stopped watching that show because it just felt like, especially once, the, the Cure storyline. Where is you know, it going? You no, know, it's just the same old, same old, you No, know, repeat and refresh, here we go again. And I don't want that to happen to this franchise.
2: I think it's quite rare that you get something like this, a like double back-to-back horror yeah. sequel thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a very different context, and obviously based on specific source material, you had It and It Chapter 2, but that gave you characters and played out consequences because mm-hmm. it made you care about the Losers Club and, and what was going to happen to them. That's the real kind of through line there. Uh, and that was always a dual timeline story. But I, I, it felt like a weird thing while we were watching Halloween Kills, where it's like, how often does that happen where you have back-to-back horror sequels where you go i i I don't know i'm used to middle parts of trilogies in fantasy and in sci-fi and comic book stuff but in horror where you need that tension when you need that element of like what's what's going to happen will Mm. they overcome the bad guy will Mm -hmm. there be some kind of something else it it didn't massively work for me well the tension
0: for me comes from because he's so brutal and he Kills pretty much everyone he sees. There's just that. Um, there's Lindsay, the other survivor from the seventy-eight massacre mm-hmm. of three people. Uh, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. who's you know she survives that you know knife out in the in the car. Uh, so by hiding under a tree, and of course he's not really fixated on her. Ultimately, no. he's just he's just going in a straight line. Yeah. Uh, so that you know he thinks he thinks very in black and white terms. Um, but the, the tension comes from. <laughs> who's going to be left on the board, for Halloween ends, and the answer, as far as I can see, is not very many people. No, uh, Laurie Strode, Officer Hawkins, maybe Karen, and maybe Alison as well. But yeah. you know, definitely Alison, because she's uh, still alive. The, the, the
1: sheriff point. with the cowboy hat.
0: Yes, the utterly um, ineffectual sheriff. Seriously, my gosh. But, but
1: you know, but like, at least he didn't join the mob, so he has that going for him. But I think his well, hey. his, but he's thought- <laughs> not. But you saw his um, faith in humanity being shaken. So there might be that, might be a little bit of a through line for him next time. That could be interesting. Yeah, it's not a huge number of people. I'll tell you what really annoyed me, and it's a very small detail. You know, the crowd that surrounds Michael at the end and doesn't take a headshot. Ugh, yes, um, yes. And did I we learn know nothing that. from Thor? <laughs> um, in the background, there's a woman holding an iron. Yes. I, I cannot tell you how much that annoyed yes. me that that was her Listen, choice of weapon.
0: His clothes are very creased. Very
3: creased uh, indeed. Look,
1: it's, it's clearly workwear, you know, heavy denim, it's not going to respond to anything but the highest setting. And she doesn't even have an extension cord with her. Come no, on.
3: That no. entire sequence was so maddening. How do you have him dead to rights like that? You take a knife and you put it in his shoulder. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? I, that, that was where a lot of the gesticulating that Ben mentioned I came in. <laughs>
2: and I, I, I was—I felt that as well yeah. in that moment as well because at that when they all surrounded him and it was like, oh, the, the, the mob is going to prevail. The town of Haddonfield is going to beat the absolute shit out of Michael Myers mm. and I'm going to quite enjoy watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that felt like, oh, suddenly this is going in a direction I didn't expect. And then it very quickly went in the direction that I did expect yeah. and I mm. felt really just like, oh, when that happened. and And mm. the frustration there of everybody in that mob, everybody in this situation knows that this guy is a potentially supernatural, unstoppable killer, and they're all filled with rage, so there would be many, many reasons for them to absolutely go to town on him and, like, be... giving him all the stabbins and whacking him in the head and all, <laughs> all of, the of the stuff. Like, it was the most timid single stab. Yeah, we did it. And then mm. when Michael got up and killed them all, it felt like they were literally all walking into his yeah. knife. Yeah. He's a slow dude at more than He's arm's length. He, 60, ratted, like.
1: he <laughs> ran into my knife. He ran into my knife ten times.
0: <laughs> he had it coming.
2: He had it coming. had it coming. a <laughs> bunch only of idiots. He had himself
0: to blame. If you had been there.
2: If, if you, you had, had seen, seen it, it,
1: I bet you you, you would have done, done the same. Anyway, that is the different direction
2: that Halloween Ends is going in next year. It's a very different sort so. of film. It's a character piece. It's oh, songs. It's
0: dance. <laughs> Michael Myers as Billy Flynn. That would be amazing. <laughs> just sitting in silence, looking at the audience every now and again, stabbing someone in the front row. <laughs> it's Illinois. Just saying. That's true. <laughs> it's just a short drive from Hattonfield to Chicago, folks. <laughs> And the bright lights of Broadway, which is in New York. Anyway, last, uh, <laughs> we have a question.
1: Okay. Most
0: I'll be honest. Most questions about this film were, "Why is it so bad?" Um, uh, so I've gone from from uh, I've gone for one from someone, Pie Man, nineteen sixty nine. Ah, a Lee
1: Pace fan. At Pie Man, 19, or
3: maybe a fan of pies. Eat or.
0: Um,
1: I'll, I'll
3: look at their bio.
1: And okay.
0: We'll so decide the Venn diagram uh,
3: between Lee Pace fans and, bi- and pan- what, fans who
1: do, of pies. Who doesn't
0: love a pie? <laughs> Lee Pace. Pies. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Circle. Yeah, right,
1: right in the middle. Right ben in the middle. diagram is a circle. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so Pie Man 1969 also wanted to know why is Halloween kill so bad? Please discuss. Um, there were the things I liked about this
4: movie. Yeah. Good
1: performances as well made. tried new things, yeah. yeah. And, and I actually really liked like some of the little um, quiet moments between Hawkins and Laurie I thought were actually yeah. really nice. Mm-hmm. And it was it was nice to have moments of human connection in a movie like this I liked Big and Little John I thought their dynamic was really fun I just um, wanted them to get out yeah. of the house I just I
0: wanted, really them to, wanted, them I wanted them to be to okay act like, they were clearly people who had love for the spooky they were mm. playing spooky stuff on Halloween I, I, I worry a little bit how, about how quickly news travels of the psychopathic killer yeah. who's walking mm. around Haddonfield stabbing people um, And because if I lived in the Myers house and I knew that Michael Myers had come back to Haddonfield I would not be in that house No, I'd be going he is probably going to come back here yeah. at mm-hmm. some point
1: I also liked the shitty little trick-and-treaters. Um, yes. Yeah, they were good. like those kids in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Weren't they? The ones who work for the Oogie Boogie?
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Let's just, just nod. Just nod and say yes. <laughs> also, I liked um, all the 1978 stuff. I thought that was so yeah, really. Yeah, I liked yeah. that. Yeah. That was my favourite stuff from the film.
3: Really good. Also, no, i on bad, but the, the John Carpenter theme is all-time great. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'll never tie up. The score it. is,
0: yeah, the score is fantastic. Uh, it really is. Um but, you know, th- th- I think there is a dip in quality hmm. from the last movie to this one. Uh, that is for sure. But the question that I'm focusing on from Pie Man 1969 is why is Tommy such a bell end? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, 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 again, I think there was an interesting idea there. I think there was something that the film was trying to say about trauma and how it shapes you and, you know, anger and the way that a sense of powers, powerlessness and frustration can then lead you to act out in a way that is ultimately, you know, unhelpful to you or anyone else around you. Like th- there are there are really strong ideas behind that character and I don't think it's badly acted. I just think it falls down because it doesn't quite fit with the very real very rational threats that Michael Myers poses. And I, I, that is the fundamental problem that I can't quite get past in terms of a lot of this mob justice stuff, which of course he leads. So, so yeah, so I think there's a, really, there's a really good nub of an idea there and there's a really good setup for a character. And then I just don't feel like the, the path that that character takes makes sense to me.
2: So what you're saying, Helen, is you think he needed to go to detention on a Saturday and write an essay and maybe make some friends <laughs> who <laughs> make him feel differently, express his anger in a different way, well, yeah, like, learn you know, from the other people in Haddonfields. He's field. more
1: than just a princess or a jock or a geek, you know? He's he's the breakfast club, right, isn't he? You know,
2: Would
0: you prefer, Tommy, had he been played by Paul Rudd, who, of course, played the character memorably in Halloween 6? <laughs> and I believe was offered the role for this was and, uh, and was mysteriously unavailable
1: <laughs> I mean, in fairness, it wouldn't be terribly realistic if played by Paul Rudd because he still looks maximum, <laughs> maximum 35. So, I, you know, I, I actually think this is better casting. I really do. But... Yeah, but you know he is in his fifties now. I, mean, I, I know he fine. is. And, you know he looks younger than yeah. all of us put together, even the ones who are under thirty. You That's know, the quantum it's like- realm for you. <laughs> <laughs> plays, plays
3: tricks. Also, I don't want to see Paul Rudd die on screen. So
0: I don't think he would have died on screen. I think Paul Rudd would have. He would have shrunk down to <laughs> miniature size and uh, kicked Michael oh, Myers' ass.
1: A, it could have been a reunion of him and Judy Greer. Oh man! Aww. Aww. Um, but no, I, I don't. I don't think that would have been terribly effective for this version of this character because I don't think yeah. that sense of, you know, again wounded masculinity and and uh, toxic masculinity as well mm-hmm. would have really fit with the Paul Rudd that we generally know. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, not saying he he doesn't have range, but he has so mm-hmm. much charm that mm-hmm. I think that toxicity might not have come through.
0: Okay. okay. Last point. Do you think you would like it if anyone in any of these movies looked at Michael Myers and went, that's a William Shatner mask?
1: I would enjoy that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: What the hell? That's a William Shatner mask. Maybe he was watching Star Trek out the window in his bedroom as a kid, and that's why. Yeah, yeah. maybe he
1: wasn't allowed TV, but the house across the road was. (laughs) Wait, no, but if he was was in for 20 years until 1978, then he was... No, no, no.
0: no. Oh, yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it was
1: 1958, he would have gone into the... Institution, so actually, Star Trek wouldn't have started airing at that point.
2: And he's mad as hell about that, Helen. Understandably,
1: yeah. Does that work? Does that timeline work
0: for. I need to look that up.
1: If he's born in 52, in that case, right?
0: I should know this stuff. Halloween. (laughs) Oh, God, I can't type. I can't type in a hurry. Halloween (laughs) Carpenter. Dear Lord, Halloween 1979, on a cold Halloween night in 1963, 15 years, it's only 15 years. Okay. between, so he's 21,
1: he's, he's just, he's only 21. He's just yeah.
0: getting his kicks. Okay, but
1: then, uh, so, but Star Trek, I think, started in 64, right?
0: 66, wasn't it? I don't know. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the MR. We don't know anything.
1: Oh, I might be getting it mixed up with Batman.
0: Star Trek, yep, 66, Star Treks and, okay. and the World Cup. That's why it's linked in my head. Um, right, because, as good. we all know, uh, Spock scored the winning goal <laughs> in the final. <laughs> um, Star Trek, the original series, 1966, ran for three seasons, ended in 1969, which I believe is when Monty Python began. So it's mm. all, it's like yeah. everyone's oh, ha- wow. handing the, the baton to each other. This of Chris's favourite things. Yeah. and of course, running through this like a, like a seam of, uh, you know, that sticky thing through a rock. The Beatles. String. The Beatles. the Beatles' string. I, I, what? I, 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 Have you ever eaten a piece of rock? Have you nipple. ever eaten a piece of rock string? <laughs> There's no string in rock. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? I put my Anyway, uh, on that note, I think that is a good note on which to end, <laughs> to bring this frankly shambolic Halloween Kills spoiler special to an end. Uh, the next spoiler special is likely going to be the one we're about to record, which is for <laughs> Venom Let There Be Kills. I knew I got them mixed up. I knew I get them mixed up. You did. Doh, doh. Uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage, so do keep an eye out for that one as well. But until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my three final boys and girl of such lethal cunning, a Mormon. Base. Helen O'Hara.
1: He had it, cunning, cunning. <laughs> well, yeah, cunning. Oh my Lethal word. cunning. Lethal cunning. Of, of lethal cunning.
0: cunning. Oh. oh my god, this could work. We'll workshop it. We'll
4: workshop. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work drop we won't it. go
0: straight to Broadway. No, no of course yeah. not. We don't want to go straight to Broadway. You want to do off, 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 <laughs> off, <laughs> off, <laughs> off, yeah, off, yeah. off, off, <laughs> off, 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 off Broadway. It's goodbye from Ben Travis goodbye. as well, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off now to drive up to that old spooky house just down the road. And uh, I know there's a killer inside, guys, but um, <laughs> just just put the chainsaw down, put the gun down, put the knife down, put the torch down, put the machine gun down, put the alien that you just got with you down. I'm just going to go inside and record a quick podcast with Michael Myers. Don't worry, we're old buddies. We go way back. This will end well. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye.
3: And nobody ever Dum- had Pink again. Do do
1: Boom.